Nothing can transport you quite like Kevin Barry's words. His award-winning short story collections and novels don't need any further praise, least of all from someone like me, but needless to say, they are sublime. What's even more extraordinary about his work is how late he has come to success. The pattern of starting things late and coming to a realisation after years of wandering elsewhere is something we had the chance to talk about, along with a few other topics he's never really spoken about before. I'd love you to hear the whole thing. We are a crowdfunded podcast only made possible through your support. If you fancy it, if you have a couple of extra euro and would like to hear the rest of this chat and hundreds of other deep dive conversations with Irish legends like Dylan Moore and Tommy Tiernan, Gabriel Byrne, Sharon Horgan, Mary Robinson, and many more, head to patreon.com forward slash Irishmanabroad. That's where you need to go. I'm doing a little 15% discount at the moment if you sign up for the year. I like to use this podcast as well as a platform to promote one charity that is very close to my heart, Jigsaw.ie, Ireland's National Centre for Youth Mental Health. They need your help to cope with the surge in demand for their services. I've committed to run 2,000 kilometres for them this year to raise as much money as I can for them. Uh, what you can do is tune in to our running podcast every Tuesday with Sonia O'Sullivan and join us on the road and set your own goal. What can what can you do? What can you raise? How far can you run? Do what you can. Head over to jigsaw.ie if you think you might need their help or maybe you can help them. That's the small talk. Now let's get down to business. Now, your programme. What's the big idea? Well, they've grown to know the Irish much better. We've now got to know how largely their mind works. I moved over here and immediately I had to up my game. I could not have done the job I, I did for quite a number of years in Ireland. I had to go and earn my living in England. I think a lot of it's in my hair. I think there's a lot of Ireland in here. I had an Irish upbringing. 20 years after an Irishman couldn't get a fucking job, we had the presidency. It was some heightened awareness of how hard my tribe had had it in London. No blacks, no Irish, no dogs. Never has a nation so small inspired so much in another. So you could say there's always been a little green behind the red, white, and blue. Our family is very Irish, you know. Now, ladies and gentlemen, we have a very special announcement to make at this stage. Would you welcome, please, the wonderful Charlie Thrigo! Kevin Barry, thank you so much for doing The Irishman Abroad. It, it means an awful lot to have you, even in these weird times. For, for some people and writers that we've had on, they were like, this isn't a huge difference from what they previously knew. Is that the case for you? I, I, I've read a bit about your writing process and I felt like there's a fella who would enjoy a bit of alone time. Yeah, it's just I guess about <laughs> when you're into the second year of it, there seems to be a bit of an old, a bit of an old drag. Um, yeah, like during the first lockdown last year, it was kind of grand. Really, the weather was very nice in, in here in County Sligo, as it was all over the country, and it was um, as 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 you say, not very much from the usual routine where I'm I'm sitting in an outbuilding. Mm-hmm. in rural County Sligo going slowly fucking nuts as I try <laughs> to write a, a story or a novel or whatever it is. But yeah, I, I mean, just going around the place doing, the, doing, you know, readings and doing going to festivals and things like that is, tends to be your social life as a, as, mm-hmm. as a writer, really, you know, so you miss that, obviously. But um, 
No, I'm I'm quite I'm I'm quite used to to, to rattling around the house, and like it's it's very different when experience the lockdown. I think we're in when you're in the the countryside when you're in a rural place. You know, it doesn't look any different than usual. Like it it looks much bleaker when you're in the cities. Well, it is, bleak is the is the word that keeps coming up when I ring home to people and the state and the place and the rollout and the shenanigans yeah. and the tomfoolery and the sort your friends out. Where are you, Charles, exactly? So I'm just north of London. Uh, so it's not a million miles from home, but yeah. I'm not allowed to go home. That's <laughs> the yeah, reality. Yeah. I'm, a, I'm a prisoner in a foreign land. And I know. It's, 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 what's amazing is you kind of how normal everything quickly comes to seem. Mm. But when sometimes you find yourself kind of stepping back a, a step and going, Jesus, this is... How how did the world turn into this kind of like poorly financed disaster movie? You know what I mean? Yeah. Badly badly plotted, uh, <laughs> going on forever, no end no end in sight. Well, you, you, uh, you've talked about places having a vibration, and uh, you know the the feeling in a place, and that feelings are external from yeah. people. Do you yeah. fi- do you do you get a vibration in Ireland at the moment? I do, <laughs> it's, uh, and I'd say it's it's fairly rattled, <laughs> you know. But I, I I do think generally, like yeah, I, I I go on about this a bit, probably probably to a fault the way that um certain places give off different kind of atmospheres and feelings, and often as a writer or as an artist or a musician of any sort, you're kind of just tuning into those feelings that come out of places and, and getting your work from them. But yeah, it's it's. Like it's really strange the way our our um, all of our dreams have been very kind of strange and disturbed even even more so than usual you know mm. so obviously the whole situation and the pandemic and the lockdown it's all playing on our subconscious and your subconscious is the place where you dream but it's also the place where you make your creative work it's the place where your stories and your songs and your and your poems and all that come from so it's um it's really going to affect the work that comes out yeah. i think you know even not if even if it's not about it it'll affect it i know what exactly. you mean yeah just so, it, just the way everything's coloured by it, I think. I always have to lay my cards on the table with people in case they don't know. And I know that the listeners are probably playing listener bingo here. How long does it take him to mention that he's a stand-up? But I am a stand-up. So my yeah. my right, <laughs> my my understanding and my where I come from in terms of doing these chats is always from that place. I mean, that that has to be that has to be referenced here because when you mention places having a vibration and having a, a feel that they give off, I think a lot of comics know exactly what you're talking about because a lot of the time you're thrown into these situations, these shows where you can get a buzz off a room that this is volatile here. Yeah. <laughs> this yeah. could go either way. Yeah. Or that this is dead and we're going yeah. to need to rouse them out of it. I mean, are there, are there, are there towns that are notoriously <laughs> difficult to get a laugh in? Oh, yeah. <laughs> oh god yeah and certain parts of towns <laughs> that's, that's yeah. the other thing it's, it's a it's a really interesting thing about sense of humor okay because i think um like ireland is a small a small rock you know on the edge of the atlantic it's, it's a very small place geographically but i find a sense of humor changes radically from mm. place to place within quite short distances yeah um like the sense of humor i grew up with uh is limerick city essentially where i lived till i was 21 and it's kind of madcap, surreal, 100 mile an hour, limit kind of stuff, you know what I mean? 
like the unbelievables and the rubber bandits could only come from Limerick. Yes. You know, with this surreal kind of antic humour uh, that, that that goes on there. When I moved to County Sligo for uh, in two thousand and seven, I for a long time I thought, Jesus Christ, they, like there there's there's no bit of a laugh up here at all, you know. Uh, they they just don't go in for the humorous side of things. But you realise after a while it's there, okay, but it's just a much more deadpan yes. kind of straight faced way that they're kind of winding you up and slagging you and and, and, and having a laugh it's just a very different kind of approach to absolutely it. it's much closer to a, a Kevin McAleer style of uh, the, the jokes are in there it's up yeah. to you to find them <laughs> <laughs> the, the, the Nordy <laughs> yeah well, let's talk about that early years because one of the things and one of the uh, I guess this you've talked an awful lot about the work, Kevin, you've taught you're constantly being asked about the things you've produced, how you produce them. But not a lot of people ask you about those early years or all this movement that took place in your life and how the realization that you had ability, but it was going to take a colossal amount of work to get it to come out. I'm interested in getting into that because that fella in Limerick, did he did he think he was a writer or how did he view himself? I think I definitely had a kind of, a, a, as many of us do have, I had a kind of a teenage um, poetry phase from, from about the age of 14 or 15, uh, from my kind of uh, teenage goth days. And like I used to write a lot of poems about sort of... Um, Girls and suicide, essentially, you know. And I was the happiest young fella alive. <laughs> you know? but, but 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 the old happy happy crack is no good for the poems. You know? so, no one wants to hear a happy poem. No one yeah. wants to hear that shit. So it was uh, so it was all very dark, melancholic stuff. But I but I I kind of seeded the field uh, in terms of poetry very quickly because you know. It's the old Patrick Kavanagh line about there being a standing army of 10,000 poets in Ireland. Um, There's enough of it going on. Hmm. There's too much of it around. So I think in terms of considering myself a writer, like I I was a journalist from a very young age, literally out of school. I went to um, what was then NIHE Limerick and I left after a couple of weeks when I got offered a job on a new local paper that was starting up in the city. And this was the late 80s, so a job was news in itself, you know, <laughs> in Limerick. And I became a, a, a an old-fashioned, at the age of, like, 19, cub reporter uh, doing, like, the courts in Limerick. And and the Limerick courts in the 80s had, had plenty going on in them mm. and doing, doing the city council meetings and all of that. Vague kind of late-night notions about trying to write fiction and stories, but it was really kind of, um, you know, I, 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 I was very involved with journalism all through my 20s. I went on kind of freelancing moving to Cork in the early 1990s and stuff but it was um and did you yeah, like I, it did I like journalism yeah I, I loved it I really and I kind of still miss it and I haven't worked in it in kind of 15 years or more now but it's um it's sociable you know mm. and, and by my nature I'm generally a sociable enough person or I often am anyway so it's a very different experience than when you're writing books and you're you're in a, in, a, in, a, in a shed in County Sligo. Yeah. But, uh, but I've heard you mention this, that you'd come in late from a nightclub and, you know, write something that seemed deadly at, yeah. at night and then in the cold light of day. It, it, it wasn't yeah, so much. You'd, 
in my twenties, I would try to write like I'd, I'd crawl out of Sir Henry's uh, on, on South Main Street on all fours and go home and maybe try and start a bit of a story or something at four in the morning. But it would be, you know, it, 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 it would. It would. You'd look at it the next day and go, you know, like I knew I could write good sentences and mm. uh, and things like that. But I, I started to get the sense of the kind of um, the kind of mountain of work that's needed, actually, and and also the kind of. Um, it's a weird way of putting it, but the kind of psychological commitment that's needed if you're going to try and make stuff up, um, because it, it all comes from your kind of subconscious self, and you ha- you have to make, this sounds esoteric, but you have to make a pact with your own subconscious. You have to say, give me stuff, you know, uh-huh. give me material to write about. And and you're part of the deal, then your your conscious self is that you're going to be a pro, mm. and, you're, and you're going to be available to do it. If, if if the ideas come, you know, you're going to actually sit down. And like most days, you don't feel like going writing a short story. You know? <laughs> most most days, you'd like to do just about anything else, like scrape your eyes out with a fork. But it's um, it's 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 a, it's a strange thing, Charlotte. I think literary talent it's it's not at all rare. There's there's rakes of it around. You know, lots of people are able to write funny stuff and great characters and things like that. But what's rare is the kind of bullish pragmatic attitude that makes you keep going back doing it again and again every day and every week uh, when you'd rather be doing other other things really and that's mm. what makes a writer you know when you have the when you when you have the discipline as well as the, the native ability yeah it took me a while to get the discipline Bert yeah yeah I don't I, I don't want to skip past this because I always remember Mitch Hedberg saying that you know I you have to spear an idea with a pencil or it'll swim away and you'll never see it again. <laughs> Sometimes he'd be yeah, yeah, lying yeah. on the bed with an idea, trying to convince yeah. himself that it wasn't good enough to get out of the bed to write it down. But this You have thing- to catch him on the fly. You can't kind of store him up for later. And that, that's that's the kind of a, a rookie mistake I definitely made, yeah. So when you say you kind of make a commitment or a deal with your subconscious that you're going to shovel coal into that fire is that why the four hours a day five six to seven days a week in the shed routine is essential in your mind the the kind of overwriting commitment is part of just kind of being at the canvas as the best place for inspiration to strike yeah it's like it's very peculiar like i do try and spend like the the guts of the morning uh, outside of my desk the, the, one of the main reasons is the wi-fi doesn't reach it uh, from the house so i'm not looking at you know dancing cats or whatever it is on 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 the internet but um like if i'm out there for four hours i, I might be writing for 20 minutes of that you know i might be just sitting out and looking at the rain for, for 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 three hours of it and you know and 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 throwing a little hacky sack or a bouncing ball around the around the walls of the place but it's um really? i'm kind of make I, i'm making myself available you know yeah um yeah, yeah, and often yeah. It's, it's weird often you get a good half an hour at the start where you get a bit down when you're still kind of um like I, i'm going to use a very fancy quotation from don delilo the american novelist said the best time to write is first thing in the morning because you're still puddled in dream melt you're still in that dreamy subconscious place and also you're not too afraid of embarrassing yourself when you're half asleep well the, you know this is another thing that i've heard come up a couple of times with you about the embarrassment and going towards the embarrassment, the thing that you read that makes you flinch that you've written and gone, Ugh, what, what am I doing there? That that's the stuff that you need to chase. And I've heard others mention this kind of thing that like the joke that's in your notebook that you're scared of. That's the one. That's the that's one that the one needs the help. 
But it's all part of a, a, would you say, an embrace of failure? Because if you're in there saying, I'm going to do this many hours, this many days of the week, and you're saying to me here, much of it is is not successful, yeah. that you kind of have to make friends with the part of you that fails. Oh, absolutely. And you're going to be like... Just to take one an, an example of one of the things I do, which is to write short stories. Like for every ten of them I write, I would only ever let one or two out the door. You know, there's acres of of absolute bollocks lying around the place <laughs> over there. You know, you really have to you really have to give yourself a block of stone. You know, that but, you can chip away at and and be the sculptor and find the shapes. How do they not get you it. down though? Like I mean, I, I think that's something that a lot of they people do. <laughs> on a fucking daily basis, <laughs> they get me seriously down. Um, it, it, it so much is dependent on your mood, though. You can you can write something in the morning and think it's terrible, and go back to it a couple of weeks later and find that actually mm. there's something in that it's not bad, and vice versa. You very often will write something in the morning and think it's heaven sent genius, and go back and look at it, even the same day, even that night, and go, oh fuck, it's more the same old bollocks again. You know, um, you get the sense often, I think. Um, that you're jumping through your own hoops, you know, that mm. I've kind of done this story before. Like maybe there were different characters and maybe there was a different setup, but it's essentially the same thing. And and you have to chalk that stuff away. I, I, I was looking at a very interesting uh, clip on, on, on YouTube the other night, a little interview with Brian Eno, the musician and producer and, and everything else that he is. And he said, you know, the, the, the worst thing as any kind of an artist is to kind of, yeah. is to know where a project is going. Is to, is to know what's going to happen next because you're taking all sorts of sense of surprise and discovery and failure out of it. You know, that there has to be the possibility of making an absolute fucking hames or something, mm. you know, of really messing it up and embarrassing yourself. If that's not there, you, you won't make anything great either. Um, well, yeah, I mean, that like that knowing where it's going is like my own writing context, that would be recognizing that you've got a punchline and now yeah. you reverse engineer from that point how do mm. i what 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 moves do i need to pull for an audience not to see that coming and for them to see what i see as funny in that yeah uh, does that at all happen in the short story process where you're like it, it, i know where sounds, this wants to end up i just yeah, have to I figure it out sounds, to get that, there that sounds um very similar in some ways to, to the way I often approach it. I, I very often have a, a, a strong sense of how a story opens, and I'll also have a, a fairly strong sense of its of its end point, of its conclusion, of what happens at the end. Um, what I won't have and what I can't have is anything in the middle, because then it just becomes boring mm. and it becomes kind of mechanical. So exactly as you say, it's, it's kind of almost a reverse engineering thing where you're trying to figure out how you get from that opening point to that conclusion. And in that way, in, in, in kind of trying to traverse this great sort of murky, oily pool of blackness in between the, the, the start and the finish, you can actually have fun. You can find yourself mm. having a good time. And like for me, it's, 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 it's a very important part of the process to feel like I'm having a good time at it. You know, I'm, by, 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 by the look of God, I'm not sort of down a coal mine. 
are 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 out are out looking after you know the the the, the roads or something. I, I'm very lucky to be able to do what I do, and I, and I should be having fun with it. If I'm not having a good time with it, the reader isn't going to be having a good time at the far end. Sure, uh, you know there there should be sort of excitement and like writing stories and books are making making up uh, writing comic routines or writing films or scripts or plays or anything, you know, it's essentially a childlike activity. Mm. It's play, you know. Uh, you're making up words and voices and jokes and songs. It's, it's childish behavior, and it should be. And, and it's something that children do perfectly naturally without any subconscious, but in any way self-conscious about it. And you have to kind of, when you're trying to make work, you have to try and bring yourself back to that kind of a childlike state, you know? Mm, yeah. And so much of it is trust, right? That you know, the, the child trusts themselves to to do it, to they don't, they haven't been beaten down in that way. They just know I've had an idea here it is, <laughs> and it makes me smile. Your trust in your instinct to know that this is funny, that this is bollocks, that this is worth pursuing, that has to be the most important instinct in you in, in many ways. Like when you're, when you're saying that you produce this many and you know that they're bollocks, yeah. you, do you see them as that? even as you're completing them? Because I know this this rule of completion that you have, that even the bad yeah. ones you got to finish or you don't earn the good ones. Yeah, I I, I have a kind of a superstition, I guess, uh, about that, that you should try and finish everything that, that, that passes across your desk. Because if you start to give up on the bad ones, you'll start to give up on the good ones as well. But it's, it's um, yeah, it's, 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 it's a very mysterious process trying to, try, trying to, to, create anything and you you need to develop a kind of a it's like an inner wand you know <laughs> a, a kind of a twitching machine that, that just I, I i was saying actually after a while after you're doing it a long time you start to recognize um the same kind of feelings coming up again and again about your own work and you realize that when you're very anxious about a piece of work when you're very worried about a piece of work this is generally a good sign Aha, you know? okay, so like um, a, a divining really rod for when when the good yeah. stuff's near. Yeah, you, you find that you're kind of thinking about it all the time and kind of pissed off and you can't figure out how to get to the end of this thing. That's usually a very good sign that there's a breakthrough coming. Uh, it's like you have to get really down to the bottom of the pit, you know, <laughs> and annoyed with yourself and sort of cranky and gone, this fucking thing now. But, but And then very often the next day, breakthrough you know and suddenly your hand is feeling guided um, across the page and the, the horrible thing about it is there's no shortcut you know there's no way of just getting to the end point without going through the kind of the angst and and, and the kind of and the kind of misery of it so yeah it, it's um it's it's all very like what we're talking about here it's all very contradictory in some ways i mean you should be very happy to be doing what you're doing but so much anxiety comes into the process as well in terms of worry about is it good enough but you know being worried about is it good enough is something you should be worried about <laughs> as, a, as a writer or as a comedian or as, as a musician or anything you should have have that level of kind of uh stress. fret yeah and stress going on about it like larry david had said that he's a nightmare to be around until it feels like it's where you're you are saying it's yeah. it's going where you're like aha now now we're in the driving seat we're on top of this bull and 
we're at least in a position where we can ride it. But until yeah. that time, he's a, he's a fucking nightmare to be around, and everyone it's avoids very, him. It's, yeah, it's How, kind of it's it's very consoling, isn't it, to hear this from someone as as kind of you know as successful and as great as Larry David. I saw something. The novelist Hilary Mantel, you know, as, as as good a novelist as there is alive, saying mm. that five or six, she works seven days a week, and she was saying five or six days of the week, it's not going well. <laughs> you know, <laughs> there there's there's no sense of of flow or no sense that I'm making progress. But it's um, how are you to be said, around on those days, though? Like how how do you control the mood? When it's, I wouldn't say I'm necessarily to other people crankier and in bad form, just a bit kind of self-absorbed. Mm. You know, just kind of sitting there with that kind of low level kind of kind of niggly thing where you're kind of trying to forget about what you're working on during the day. But you're kind of going that fucking thing, you know, it's not it's not right. Like <laughs> that's that's the, that's probably the most uh, the most overused expression I say to myself on a, on a daily or weekly basis. It's not right. You know? Yeah, yeah. It's, it's a crooked right. picture frame. Exactly. But what we're to, like what we're talking about is quality control, essentially, mm. you know, for, How long for have any you small gone? business. How long? How long have you gone through a period of going? That's no good. Oh, I of the books uh, that I that I've published the novel Beetlebone, which is about John Lennon going to his island out out in Clue Bay. Like I wasn't on it four years from start to finish, but I was coming and going from it for 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 about four years, and most of the time on, on. on that novel, I was going, oh, Jesus, I'm in trouble here. Like, <laughs> you know, this this definitely isn't right. And it, it was because I gave myself a huge problem at the very start of the book, which was I decided that John Lennon was going to be the main character. Yes. Uh, so, you know, you're not picking any old iconic character. You're picking a seriously iconic character. And that means that readers, when they open the, the book, are going to have a very strong opinion of how your character should sound mm. because they have their own impression of, of, of John Lennon um, in, in their mind. So, so so that makes it difficult. That's really giving yourself a, a whip to, to, to flay yourself with at the start of the process, you know. So that, that was the, the, the longest period where I had a kind of constant stress about a particular project. And then in retrospect, I felt at the end I was happy with the book and I felt like I got away with putting John Lennon into a novel. So that makes it kind of my favourite in some ways of all mm. of, of the books that I've written, the difficulty of it kind of makes it like the the, the awkward child you have to love, you know? <laughs> yeah. I mean, I, I find the, the, the maintenance then, once you've crossed that point, this is my, one of my favourite questions to ask people like yourself who are sustaining a level. That question of whether it was harder to sustain it or to breach that uh, that ceiling. I mean, the Rooney Prize has to have been a moment when you were like uh, quietly punching the air. I'm doing it. It's happening. I really can do this. You'd correct me if I'm wrong here. But yeah. which was harder? That period that you described at the start of not having the discipline, coming in late yeah. at night, writing these stories, waking up in the morning, realising they were shite, and then being at that point that, you present it with this and it feels like the world has said, no, no, this is you. Yeah, it's um, it's I, I, in some ways I consider it a fortunate thing for my writing that I didn't publish too early. 
like I was 37 when my first kind of short book of short stories came out. So I, th- I, I think by that age, you, you, you kind of have some bit of sense to you. Do you know what I mean? And you can recognize uh, you can recognize the quality or otherwise of, of, of what you're doing. And I think if I if I do have anything that kind of stands to me in, in, in my work as a writer is I, I, I try to keep the stuff that is going out the door at, at a high pitch quality wise that that, that I won't I, that I won't churn it. You know, and that I won't jump jump through my own hoops if I can. Of course, again, you're you're you. It's it's it's, you know, it's 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 hard when you when you realise that a writing career might go on for thirty or forty years. That you're going to have to <laughs> kind of keep going at this pitch. So it's it's. Um, I'm very interested in, in 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 people who try 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 work in different disciplines and try different things all the time and try to keep it fresh. And I, I recognise something in myself that of the desire to do that of, of mixing it up and not just sitting down and writing novel after novel or just short stories or whatever it is to, to try other things and see if you can uh, see if you can bring new, new kind of energy into the work in some yeah, way and part of that has to be the thing you mentioned about keeping it fun keeping the crack yes. in it and keeping the sense of the unknown the kind of first yeah. the first date element of it but the, coming to things late is a is a pattern right as I said, this is an extract of the conversation I had with Kevin Barry this week. The full conversation, along with hundreds of others, including other Irish authors such as Cecilia O'Hearn, Colin McCann, Marion Keyes, Paul Murray, Louise O'Neill and more, can be heard at patreon.com forward slash irishmanabroad. It takes two minutes to sign up. There's no obligation. You can walk away anytime you like, but you can walk around also knowing that you're the reason this podcast is continuing to exist. Next Friday, Harry Hill. Ed Gamble, Angela Barnes and Pete Heath will take part in the Return to the Crack online comedy club free to our members and £10 for a stream with all profits going to frontline charities like Jigsaw.ie Returnofthecrack.com is where you want to go Brian Connolly on production exceptional work considering everything he's dealing with this week shout out to Brian special thanks to John Marr for making this episode possible for all his Trojan work on it and Tina and Mikey as always for making this possible happy Easter to you come on over to patreon.com forward slash Irishman Abroad to hear the rest of this conversation with Kevin Barry